Welcome to the Aaron Novello Podcast. Are you looking to master the art of real estate sales? Do you want to level up your business and lifestyle? You are in the right place. Aaron and his guests share winning real estate sales strategies and techniques and show you how to win the inner game that leads to financial freedom. Get ready. Here is your host, top producing real estate agent and coach to some of the top agents in the U.S. and internationally, Aaron Novello. You know, you as the children are not going to get it until that person passes away. And normally a second wife is a lot younger than the first wife. So you could be in there with her for a long time. If it's a third wife, forget it. I remember an attorney one time said to me like, hey, instead of a second marriage, he's like, just live in sin. I think that again and again, if you talk to grown people who've gone through probate, they'll say like, I stopped speaking to my brother after my father's estate. So none of these things are permanent unless you pass away, then they become permanent. Welcome back, Novello Nation, to another episode of the Aaron Novello Podcast. We have with us an absolute rock star, awesome human being, somebody we refer on a regular basis to all of our clients who need her specific expertise. Her name is Danielle Greenberg, and she knows probate inside and out. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to be with us here today. Thanks, Aaron. Happy to help. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think what's interesting is that I find in everyday conversations with homeowners that, you know, being that we live in Florida, I tease people that we live in heaven's waiting room, right? So this issue of probate uh, comes up on a regular basis, and it's something that a lot of people really don't understand. So I wanted to invite you on the platform to really, you know, share your knowledge so that way, you know, it could be helpful or useful to people in some way. So if you could you know, briefly kind of share with people what actually is probate, because I don't think people generally understand that. Right. Okay. So basically, um, when you die, if you have any assets that are in your individual name that don't have a beneficiary on them. So if you have a bank account or if you own real estate, or if you have a 401k or different assets and you failed to designate a beneficiary, on them or move them into a trust or other different titling things. When you pass away, the only way for those assets to be transferred on to whoever you're leaving them to is through a process called probate. So people often get confused if you have a will or if you don't have a will, either way, the court is in charge of this probate process. If you have a will, we call it testate. If you don't have a will, it's called intestate. If you have a will, you can leave your property in most instances to whomever you like. There's some exceptions with cutting your spouse out. They're entitled to uh, get about 30% of your estate or if you have minor children um, with your homestead property. And otherwise, if you don't have a will, then the law controls. And a lot of times people are, are very unhappy with the outcome, not realizing that you know, the daughter that your father had that he never spoke to is getting her share, that your stepmom is getting like probably 50% of the estate, uh, et cetera. So the only way to override the baseline rules of law is to create a will. Um, And without a will, it just goes according to a very specific flow of questions. You know, are you married? Do you have kids? Do they have kids? Did somebody die, et cetera. So, The probate process, basically what happens is you get assigned a judge, 
the documents get submitted to the court and um, there's a period of time where creditors can file claims. And then the end result is whatever assets are left um, from the estate, they get distributed either according to the will, if you have one, or if you don't, according to the intestate law. And um, yes, as I said, a lot of times people are pretty unhappy with the outcome. And also, you and I have talked about this many times, uh, a common mistake people have is they think that if they have the will, that that just controls what happens. And basically a will is only gonna be valid once a court says so. So just having possession of a will and taking it around will get you nowhere. You have to submit it to the court. The court has to make sure that it complies with Florida law, then it will get admitted to probate and then it will control the outcome. Um, and also what confuses people a lot of times is if you have a beneficiary on an account or on all of your property, that will trump whatever the will says. So I have people call me and they'll say, the will says I'm getting 50%, but you're getting 50% of nothing because the assets have already previously been distributed out to, um, to a beneficiary, let's say, leaving nothing for, for the probate. Mm, that's so good. So that's a lot to unpack. I'm taking notes as we're speaking, <laughs> right? So the first is, is um, you know, this kind of language of testate versus intestate. And all that really means is, is whether somebody has a will or if they don't. Correct. Correct. And testate then, is will, intestate is no will. Perfect. And then the other thing that is important for people to recognize and understand is that simply because there's a will in place, oftentimes we communicate with people and they staunchly believe like, yeah, I don't have to do probate, where in fact, that's actually not true. Correct. What the will does is the will serves as a document for the court as they're proceeding with probate to make decisions about, you know, how things are going right. to be distributed. And in fact, and of, sorry, and one of the reasons for that is sometimes people have different versions of wills and, um, or that it's not done validly, et cetera. So, you know, just, you might think you have the last will that the person did, but a later will always takes the place of a previous will. So you might have a 2004 will, but someone did another one in 2010. The 2010 will is gonna be the one that controls. Yeah, and it's also critical because we actually had a conversation. I was sitting at a table with someone and she pulled out a will and was super excited about it. And the moment she pulled it out, it was like handwritten. So initially it's a red flag. And then number two, I got you on the phone and you were cool enough to answer at like six o'clock. And I'm like, yeah, here's the will. You're like, okay, cool. You're like, how many witnesses? Right. And I was like one. And you're like, mm, state of Florida says you need two. So that's invalid. Correct. Correct. Right. And that was like and, devastating for that individual, yeah. but like, that's just the way it is. And the two witnesses have to be in the room with each other and the signer at the same time. I had an attorney yeah. get a will thrown out because all he did was track down the witnesses and they said, oh no, we weren't together. I signed it this day, the person signed, and then the will wasn't valid, so. Yeah, and it was interesting because as I'm sitting there, she's like, well, I was in the room so I could just sign it now. I'm like, that's a felony. You should not do that. That's against the right. law. So, okay, so if, you know, knowledge is critically important as it pertains to this, and if you understand it very well, you can plan accordingly. The other thing that popped out as you were saying that is, is if people don't properly plan in this way, even with a will, before you get into ways of kind of avoiding probate, then essentially what happens is that the courts get to decide. And that's right. rather interesting, right? It's kind of like out of a fear of dealing with the inevitable, 
we don't take the time to plan. And as such, then we leave it up to other people to be the arbiters of like our estate. And like you said, people oftentimes are not happy with that outcome. So if I'm hearing you correctly, everybody should like reach out to somebody like you. And if they have any assets, they should definitely draft up a will. Is that right? That's correct. And I would also say that I know there's a lot of online platforms where you can get your own will done, LegalZoom or those places. I definitely don't recommend that just because I know it's like a money saver in the short term, but I see so many mistakes and things that go wrong when people use that and they don't necessarily know, obviously, what I know doing this every day for a living. So um, I think sometimes that's like a short term solution. That's not the best option. Yeah, it's kind of like when me and Carla tried to change the uh, flooring in our yeah. one of our apartments by ourselves. We're like, ah, oh, how hard could that be? And then we get to the last piece and um, it won't fit. <laughs> and then I got to hire a professional who like undoes it in like 45 minutes and makes it good right, in like right. an hour, right? I would have saved all this time, energy and effort. So to that point, you know, oftentimes this like DIY, like do it yourself mentality and in an effort to try to preserve some capital at the same time with so much on the line, it makes sense to have some professional guidance because you can do that. Think your everything's tied up like a bow and then when it comes down to it, it wasn't done properly and then it's invalid. And then you have right. no choice, nor do your kind of beneficiaries have a say in what happens. Is that right? Right. right. Yeah. And also um, people like I, you know, anticipate things going out of order and things happening that people don't anticipate. So I'll always make people put layers of beneficiaries instead of just one because then that also causes problems if the person that you left it to um, predeceases you, dies before you, then what happens? And if you haven't, if your will doesn't deal with that, it causes a problem. Also, another big problem is you should never leave any kind of assets whatsoever to minors, which people don't realize. Don't leave your life insurance to your kids. Don't leave your house to your kids because minors can't hold real property or uh any property for that matter. So if you leave, um, like I had a case where someone left the life insurance to the child, then what happens is you have to get a court appointed guardian and and basically have the court involved until the child turns 18. Every dollar you wanna spend on the child's behalf has to get like approved by the court. It's, it's expensive and it's pain in the neck. And the worst part about it, in my opinion, is then the 18 year old is entitled at 18 to get the full amount of the money. So if there's $300,000 now, you have an 18 year old who's lost a parent getting $300,000. We know what good judgment they use in that instance. Whereas if you do some estate planning, like a lot of every will that I do always has what I call a contingent trust, which specifically says in the case that a minor inherits, they can't get the money, let's say till they're 18 and this person will be the trustee of that money for them. And, you know, there's planning involved. Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. And thoughtfulness thinking like not only in terms of first level consequences, but like second, third, fourth level consequences down the road, what could potentially happen. Right. So it seems as though, you know, planning's like really important and getting proximity to somebody like yourself is also very important and not being kind of a cheapskate about it and being like, Hey, if you want good information, you're going to have to pay for it. Right. Correct. Yeah, that's good. 
And so then talk a little bit about too, as it pertains to real property specifically, I think oftentimes people get confused too with regards to homestead versus like secondary Mm -hmm. homes. And what I find, which is so interesting, Danielle, because I find that attorneys oftentimes, if they're not like you and they don't do it all the time and really understand it in and out, they don't understand it. So talk a little bit about how that works and how technically in the state of Florida, if a homestead of property is passing linear heirs, it technically passes outside of probate. So talk a little bit about that. Yes. So Florida is uh, probably probably has one of the highest homestead protections for real property, I think, of almost any state. So it doesn't matter how much the property costs. Um, if it's where you reside and you own, and your name's on it, you get homestead protection. People often get confused with, I got homestead for tax purposes or uh, something else, which doesn't have to do with homestead for probate purposes, which is confusing. So basically, um, just it, even if you don't, for example, apply for the homestead tax exemption on your property that Florida allows, that doesn't keep the property from being determined as your homestead. So if you own it or own a fraction of it and you reside there, it's considered your homestead in Florida. So oftentimes, especially like if property's co-owned by like a brother and a sister, let's say, but the brother lives there with respect to his portion, it's homestead because he lives there and therefore the homestead laws that kick in in probate apply. Um, Basically, um, one of the biggest things in Florida is that if you own homestead property and you're married, even if you own it in your own name, your spouse upon your death has rights to your homestead property. So that's a big surprise. And this normally comes up with a second marriage and the grown kids and the second wife. So if they're like, but my dad owned the property. Okay, but he was married at his time of death. If you're married and it's your homestead, even if your spouse doesn't live there, I have a case where the spouse moved to England, she still has the homestead rights to the property. And what the rights are is that Um, under the law, the spouse will get either a life estate when you pass away in the property, meaning they can live there for the rest of their life, or Florida allows that spouse, once our other spouse dies, to file an election. You have to probably see an attorney to do this. You file something in the public records that says, I'm electing to take a 50% ownership now instead of a life estate. So, um, and they did that because sometimes people wanted to like move out of the state or move away from the property. And um, so they gave the spouse the option of taking a 50% interest or the spouse can have the property for the remainder of their life. Upon their death, the property will transfer to the like spouse's children um, in equal shares. Um, So, People are always really surprised by this, upset by this, because they don't realize those rights that the spouse is going to have. And I always say that marriage has consequences. So if you're like, sometimes people just stay married or they don't think about it. They can't believe, like I have someone where the father married someone for a green card and I'm like, okay, but then now the wife has a life estate. Like, I think, you know, whether you could challenge the green card nature of it is not my area. But um, the other thing is if you, if, you, if you have a spouse or you have minor children, then you are not allowed to, in your will, leave your homestead to somebody else. You can't 
you can't try to bypass what I'm saying by saying I'm going to leave it to whomever. The only way around this is either a prenup. So a spouse can waive all of these rights that a spouse has in a prenuptial agreement. And a spouse can also waive these rights, meaning give up the rights um, after you're married through a legal document. Uh, probably the spouse needs to have their own attorney advise them of what rights they're giving up. But like if it is a second marriage and it was the family home and you want to make sure it goes to your kids, you can get the spouse to sign a document um, giving up their homestead. But if you don't take any action and you pass away, that's what's going to happen. Your spouse is going to be able to stay there for life, even if they don't live there. What a life, And people get confused by what a life estate means also. So even if the spouse doesn't live there, they could rent it to somebody else. They could assign their life estate to somebody else. Um, you're, you know, you as the children are not going to get it until that person passes away. And normally a second wife is a lot younger than the first wife. So you could be in there with her for a long time. And if, for it's, a a hot wife, minute. if it's a third wife, forget it. Forget it. So she's going to outlive um, you. Yeah. So it made me think, uh, I remember an attorney one time said to me like, Hey, instead of a second marriage, he's like, just live in sin. It's easier. Yes. <laughs> so, so if I'm understanding correctly, and this is cool because like I'm learning as we're having this conversation, even if it's not in a life estate, which I know that's a way of holding title. If it's just, I own it. And then I legally get married to, let's say a second person and we don't do a prenup and we don't have any particular documents in the state of Florida, that second like that spouse has the homestead rights and they have, they're entitled to Correct. the asset. Is that right? Correct. Sometimes wow, that makes a lot of people angry, I imagine. Yes. I was just going to say, sometimes there could be an exception. Like if you owned the property with like your sister, joint tenants with right of survivorship, and then you got married after that first deed, the joint tenants with right of survivorship that you had with your sister would supersede or override the marriage because that was in place first. And since we're talking about it, that's also something that people get really confused about. I'll just set this straight. So basically there's three ways you can own property you with somebody else. You can own it tenants in common. So if you, if you go on the property appraiser website and you look at a deed and it says to, you know, so person A and person B, and that's all it says, like, just to Jessica and Michael, and they're not married in this scenario. When Jessica dies, 50% belongs to Jessica's estate. When Michael dies, 50% belongs to his estate. Florida is very clear that if you want the full share to pass to the other person on death, you must use the words joint tenants with right of survivorship. So if you look up a deed and it says to Jessica and Michael, joint tenants with right of survivorship, then whomever dies first, the property will pass to the survivor of the two of them. Absent that exact expression, joint tenants with right of survivorship is going 50% to one person's estate or one person 50% to the other. The exception to that is if you're married. You don't have to say joint tenants with right of survivorship. If you buy the property together as a married couple, then you will get that joint tenants, which basically means the property will transfer automatically to the survivor of the two of you upon death if you're married. And that would trump what we were talking about earlier as far as the homestead and the life estate. If you own, because those examples I was giving you is when the property was owned only by one spouse. 
if you as a married couple own the property together on the death of the first one of you, it will transfer to the survivor automatically in Florida. If you're married, even if, so, even if it doesn't say so, joint even if it doesn't say that it's assumed, Correct. so it'll automatically apply. And if you don't, if it's correct, you know, if you don't stipulate, otherwise that's what will happen. And I would just add that if you're married and you get divorced and you don't fix the title to the property, then that would sort of sever that and 50% would go to the wife and 50% would go to the husband. I understand. So in other words, like if there's a, if somebody gets married a second time, if they don't stipulate otherwise, and they're both on title, then at the time of passing a hundred percent of that asset will go to the, the other spouse. Right. If it's home, if it's their primary residence. Wow. Correct. That causes a lot of problems, I imagine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it does. With, with, with uh, you know, siblings and children and things of that nature. Okay. So, and this is why, like, as you're listening to this, guys, like, this is why it's so important to deal with professionals that understand the dynamic. Because oftentimes I find in, like, the real estate game, they don't. They're just coming from a place of, like, transactionally, like, hey, I can help you buy and sell but they're not thinking like fiduciary where they help people solve problems and walk them through procedurally, you know, how this works because oftentimes, you know, we can kind of educate them and we can together as a team in such a way that we save them a lot of time and money where they right. imagine that it's going to take all this time and we step in and we're like, well, nope, we could do it this way, this way we do it simultaneously in 60 days we're done versus right. like, you know, kind of extending it out uh, over large periods of time. So, Talk a little bit about, too, as far as, let's say someone finds themselves in a situation where a family member passes and maybe they don't live in a geographic area, which is oftentimes the case in Florida, and they don't know if the person had a will or not. Like they don't, because I find that that's frequently a dynamic. So walk for us sure. through, like if, if you were going to give a blueprint for right. kind of, you know, beneficiaries, Yep. What would be like step one, step two, step three that you would propose that they start to do to right. help them to kind of get a handle on the situation? Right. So typically when someone calls me, especially like from out of state and their family member lived here, you know, um, obviously for me, the first step, I, if they own real property, I always immediately go on the property appraiser website and look up the deed to see how it's titled, to see if they're correct about how they think the person owned it because that's fundamental, um, you know, and then I tell them like, you know, if you're going to have to do a probate or you're not going to have to do a probate, depending on how the property was titled and depending on what other assets the person owned. So if you have bank accounts, as I said earlier, with no beneficiaries on them, those are going through probate. And I would add this point just because it popped in my head, but it's helpful to know. So, um, if you, if somebody is going to have creditors, medical creditors, credit card creditors, this is interesting in Florida. If you leave a beneficiary on your bank account, like a death beneficiary, or if your account is joint with someone, but let's just say you just bother going to the bank and you put a beneficiary on the account, those funds, when you die, go automatically to the person you named as beneficiary. If you don't put a beneficiary and that account has to become part of probate, then what happens a lot of times is if you have creditors, credit card bills or whatever, they're going to get that money from your account before a beneficiary will. And people are always surprised by that. So a lot of times, especially even with health insurance, if someone was in the hospital 
the last 30 days, 60 days of their life, a lot of things, you know, aren't fully covered and these huge medical bills come. And it's always frustrating me for the family because if that person would have just put a beneficiary on the bank account or any asset, you know, your TD Ameritrade, any of those accounts, that money would go right to the beneficiary and the creditors would never get it. So you're not obligated to pay somebody else's debts um, when they die, except for through like the probate or if there's a trust. But um, basically that's, you know, one of the best things I tell people when they're in their, my office is please go make sure all of your assets have beneficiaries on them and make sure that the beneficiaries aren't under the age of 18. But Yeah, it's interesting. So I wrote down like first step one, how do they hold title if there's real property? Step yes. two is asking them questions about beneficiaries. Is, right, beneficiaries. Is there yeah. And then Correct. what popped into my head as we're having this conversation, it's called like payable upon death where you could go to the right. bank and be like, Hey, I just want to name this person because otherwise based on what you're saying, it becomes open to those, those little creditors. They're like, Ooh, yeah, now, because you didn't do that now that's free game. So we can go after those assets to pay back debts that were owed versus if I have beneficiaries on all those things, it's like too bad. So sad guys, you can't touch any right. of the, those funds. Correct. Correct. And one thing I would say, what you're asking me is, um, you know, if you have older relatives and you know, you're probably going to be the beneficiary of their estate or you are the older relative, it's very helpful to let family members know where you bank, where your life insurance policies are, where, you know, if you have a safe deposit box, does it have anything in it? Because these kinds of things, people a lot of times don't know the answer to, and everyone thinks there's some registry, which there's not. So if you run a credit report on someone, you can normally tell what they owe, but you can't necessarily find out that they have a bank account at Wells Fargo, that they have an online brokerage account with this person. So that information, whenever I have someone in my office and I take notes, I always ask them, I don't even need to know specifically what's in your accounts, but I just need to know where they are so that people can chase down the money. And um, one thing I will say, and this is also a confusion a lot of people have, is if you don't find an asset for one of your relatives and you go through the probate process, that doesn't mean the state of Florida keeps the money. Florida has uh, something called unclaimed funds and you can look yourself up at any given time, see if anyone owes you money. But you can, you know, if you know someone died and you did the probate, you can look for the next few years to unclaim funds and see whether any money has made their way over there. Um, Cause normally they'll like accept the probate documents and distribute out anything that you weren't able to collect. But yeah, so I can't that's stress enough talk. the communication. Yes, go ahead, sorry. No, it's awesome. Like the, the, the communication is so critical if you have people that are, you know, older and uh, they're moving, they're at that stage in life, that stage in the life cycle where, you know, that's gonna, they probably have less life left than kind of what right. they've already uh, enjoyed to ha start having these conversations payable upon death. I wrote down that it's absolutely wild in today's day and age with technology that there's not one repository or database where I can just look somebody up and I see all of their stuff. Correct. Like, that's pretty interesting that that doesn't exist. What popped into my head is perhaps with some of the adoption of like blockchain or things like that in the future. That probably uh -huh. will be a thing where you just kind of type it in and see, you know, all assets, well right? Well, what I was going to say is the older generation, it's almost a little bit easier because they tend to get everything by mail. 
So something that's helpful is to either get the mail, forward the mail. That's normally like a big clue. You know, you see a bank statement from Chase, then you know they have a bank account at Chase. But with younger generations that are paperless, then you have a real problem because they get all their banking and things are online. And it's like, there's no paper coming to the house except for maybe, you know, during tax time. And so that's even more confusing um, where people just don't know where people's assets are at all. And that's wild. Yes. And something else I was going to say that also people cannot get over. We have nowhere in Florida where you record your will. So if you have a will done by an attorney, and you don't tell anybody the name of the attorney who prepared the will. And let's say you have, you know, the original will in your house. It seems to me like the first person to get in the house, if they're not happy with what the will says, suddenly nobody can find the will and nobody who knows who drafted it. So I always tell my clients, obviously I give them a folder with their documents. It has all my information on it, but I always tell them to like just email or let somebody know who's a beneficiary, this is the attorney that I use. Cause I always have, you know, scanned copies of everything we prepare. And even though technically they want the original will for probate, you can get a copy of a will admitted. So I think it's really important if you're an older person or if you're a relative of an older person and giving them some advice, find out at least who their lawyer is at that fundamental level, because, um, people are shocked to find out that you just can't even figure out who did the will. Yeah. And I guess I'm curious, just a little bit of a digression, but it is like, that's unbelievable to me that there's not a repository for that. Why do you think that? Probably because lawyers make a lot of money from will contests and will fights. I don't know. I think the same thing because you have to record a deed in the public records, right? So like you record deeds and that's how we know which deed is controlling. And I don't understand why, even if they wanted to keep the content private, why we don't have people record wills. So you would know which was the last version, you know, um, and also what's great with the property appraiser, when you go to record a deed, if not all the time, do they catch this, but let's say it's supposed to have a notary and you don't get it notarized, or it's supposed to have two witnesses and there's only one, they'll kick it back, alerting you that what you thought you were doing correctly, you did not do correctly. So it would be kind of nice if, you know, um, there was a recording, for deeds and then people would look at them and see if they were signed correctly. Uh, but we don't have that. And it's, it does create a little wild west atmosphere because. Well, it seems incredibly inefficient and it seems completely ripe for disruption. So me and you yes. are going to have to put our brains together and uh, make that happen. I'm so, telling you, okay, I, so I do think the lawyers that do the litigation and all the stuff, it, it, they make a lot of money on the chaos. So, so they would, know. they would fight it, but I don't know, but it yeah. seems like in the future, that seems uh, in a way, just like any other industry where like, they're the gatekeepers of data, just like in my industry, like it used to be, if you wanted to speak to, if you want to know anything about real estate, anything, there was no repository of data to go see it. Like you had to go speak to an agent. You had right. to talk to an agent about what's available, like, you know, what's sold. Nobody had any idea. Well now, because of the internet, uh, that's gone away. Now people can consume information. They don't need that necessarily. Now it's about interpreting data, understanding processes and procedures. It seems like that has not necessarily happened yet in your industry at the same time. More likely than not, as time progresses, it probably and will. I, I was also going to say you brought up cryptocurrency yeah. and that's a whole other mess of the situation because a lot of those passwords, I mean, I had someone in my oh, office yeah. 
and everything is on a little drive or ledger and like it's got 20 word password. And if he doesn't tell his family about where it is, they'll, they'll never be able to find it if something happens to him. That's so, wild. Yeah, that's wild as well. It's so interesting. This is awesome. I love this conversation. So I, I'm writing down like kind of your SOP in your brain, like standard operating procedures. So if we're talking to, uh, you know, obviously the best time to do this is prior to passing Correct. <laughs> is to have these conversations and to plan yes. and to reach out to somebody like you. Okay, cool. If somebody finds themselves where, you know, somebody passed and stuff, it's like, all right, number one, how did they hold title? Number two, are there payable upon death or are there beneficiaries for the assets? Number three, I wrote down, is there a will? And if not, or if so, do you have a copy and do you know the attorney who drafted right. it? Okay, cool. And right. then is there, after you have that information, is that enough information for you to then prescribe? Or would you propose to them that there's a few more steps that they should go through to, to kind of, you know, get ready for the conversation with you? Um, that, I mean, you need the death certificate in Florida, number one, to be able to do any kind of probate. Um, normally that takes about two weeks to get from uh, the funeral parlor or cremation place. Um, another thing I've been encountering lately that's causing a lot of chaos <laughs> is you, whoever informs the death certificate needs to be accurate. So like I had a woman that was Native American and she said they were married because in her eyes they're married. I'm like, but under the laws of the state of Florida, you weren't married, so you put married, which has consequences, especially in every scenario, but if there's no will, it really has consequences. Then we had to do this whole long amending the death certificate process. So yeah, and then also one thing that comes up all the time when people don't have a will that they're surprised about is if you have like four children and one of them dies before you, leaving children, those children who would be your nieces and nephews in the scenario I'm discussing, they're gonna get that person who passed away share. People are also normally very angry about that. But so if the, if the uh, you know, head of the family had four children, even though one of them passed away before the head of the family did, leaving surviving children, those children will take the person who passed away share. So if there yeah, were four like, children, it'll be one fourth, one fourth, one fourth, one fourth. Yeah, it's like essentially what they do is they step into their position. It's like if you think about it, like if yes. there was four people, you have like each person has 25%. And if it's not stipulated otherwise, what will happen is, is that if that sibling or child passes uh, prior to the, you know, um, adult or parent passing, then their children step into their position Correct. and I'll get that 25%. Uh, this, just since we're talking about this topic, it, made my mind go to partition. And I just thought that was an interesting thing to talk about. It comes up a lot in what, but with both of us. So if you own real property in Florida, and let's say you inherit it, and now you own it with your four siblings, no one person in Florida is able to ultimately prevent the sale of the property. So a very common scenario I see is there are five children, the parent passes away, one of the children has like moved into the property and just decided it's theirs or doesn't want to sell. Happens all the time. All the time. So basically what happens in that scenario is I can do the probate for the family and move the title to the five surviving children. That's a preliminary step that has to take place. But once I finish that process, 
and you want to sell the property, um, normally, obviously, the best scenario is to get cooperation and all five of you agree and you sell it. But if one person is a holdout or two or whatever, you can even own 3% of the property. You can file an action, you need an attorney, called a partition action where you force the sale of the property. Um, this is unrelated to the probate. People always get frustrated. I always have to explain to them, okay, we gotta do the probate first and determine who owns the property. And now that we know, now that it's in like the five of your names, you can, you know, uh, bring this action called a partition action. Normally what I, what I try to do is help the person who's the holdout realize, look, this isn't going to be good for you because what's going to happen is if we have to bring a partition action, they're going to ask for all the filing fees, all the attorney's fees to come out of your share since you're the one that won't let the property be sold. And ultimately the course, the court is going to let the sale happen anyway. So, you know, that that's just something to consider, but that not only that is such a common problem. And what I find frustrating in my area is the, you know, original owner could take steps to prevent that from happening, either by, um, you know, moving into a trust and dictating how the shares are going to be decided, or um, you, you don't want to direct that the property be sold in your will because that makes it lose its homestead for protection from creditors, which is a weird area of Florida law. But, um, you know, there are different solutions we could talk about depending on what the person who owns the property wants to do. But it's a terrible thing uh, to just ignore it because I see it tears families apart all the time. The five siblings like end up by the time the probate is over, they hate each other. And um, I think that again and again, if you talk to grown people who've gone through probate, they'll say like, I stopped speaking to my brother after my father's estate. It causes a lot of drama that I think the parent could avoid. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the, for me personally, the way I perceive it, having you know dealt with this so much is that what the goal and objective of planning is, is to uh, really kind of um, maintain familial harmony. And I think human nature is such that if you don't plan that it with a high degree of probability, it will disrupt for familial harmony. Yes. And I think to your point that people are completely misinformed. They for don't sure. understand that in the state of Florida. And I wrote down when you said that, I'm like, I love our state. Where it's <laughs> like, dude, you can't hold people up. Like you think you can, you think you could just sit down and be like, nope, I'm not selling and I'm part owner and you can't do anything about it. And I, I always, I'm like, I always chuckle. I'm like, uh, nope, that's not what's true. What's going right. to happen is they will do the partition. You will lose and the legal fees will come out of your portion and you'll have to get out of the property. So, and oftentimes it's just that misinformation. Correct. And because people aren't clear, they talk to their friends and their friends like, oh yeah, like you own part of it and you could just stay there. They can't kick you out and blah, blah, blah. And they're just completely uh, unaware that that's just not Correct. true. And I would say another, just since we're talking about misconception, is people think that because they're somebody's child that they're automatically entitled to whatever their parents have. And the way the law works is if you're an adult, you can leave your stuff to anybody you want from the Humane Society to the neighbor to 
to the Pink Elephant Foundation, whatever you want. Right. You have no obligation and you have no obligation to name all of your children equally. You can exclude people, um, like except for what we talked about earlier with respect to the homestead and, you know, the spouse. That's that's a limitation as far as what you can do there. But otherwise, generally speaking, you especially with adult children, you know, they don't have the rights that they think they do. No. And what what you mentioned, too. Uh, which is very interesting to me is that if you want control, meaning like you as uh, the individual who owns the assets wants to be able to dictate what happens with that, those assets, really the only way to make sure that that happens in an ironclad way is via a trust, because then the trustee's job is just to follow the instructions. And if they don't, like it's against the law, they can't do something separate from what it is that you wanted. So it seems as though what would make the most sense, again, you know, when people reach out to you, it's usually after the fact. Uh, and, you know, it reminds me of like, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? What's the second best time today? Right. So for those people who may be listening, it's like, all right, what really makes sense is to be thoughtful, have a professional like you think of first, second, third level consequences, put things in place, have it in a trust, and then you can dictate who, right. like what happens and then you're good. And I'm aware that that probably costs a little bit of money up front. You know, at the same time, you'll be handing your beneficiaries a gift, which is the gift of familial harmony, that during a very difficult time, you know, they won't have to worry about that. And then the other thing I would propose, which you mentioned, I think makes a lot of sense, is once you do that, to sit down with all of them and tell them. Right. This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. You know, this is the person I'm designating trustee. This is why I'm doing that. And some of you might not like that, but this is what I'm doing. And so that way there's no, at the end, kind of surprises, right? Correct. And what I would also say is, yes, a trust is a good option depending on the circumstances. People that don't have like a huge estate, um, a lot of times just Florida has a deed we can do called an enhanced life estate deed, also known as a ladybird deed, which is very popular in Florida, where you basically uh, can leave your real property to yourself for life and then on death say who it's going to transfer to. There's a few limitations with that, you know, but it's a pretty inexpensive um, thing to do if, you know, cost is a concern for you, but you want to make sure your house goes to whoever you want it to go to. Um, And what's great about that deed is once um, the person passes away without probate, without everything we were talking about, the title to the house just transfers to whomever you name. And um, I do that for people if I think the circumstances are right, because there's some shortcomings with it. But generally, especially if you're like a parent and you have two kids and everyone's getting along and you just want everything, you know, you just want your house to go to your two kids, then that's a great option for you. Yeah. And that's a really good distinction because it depends on like, you know, the kind of size of assets. Uh, Correct. And there's a way to do it in which via the Ladybird deed or the enhanced life estate and payable upon death and beneficiaries. Correct. Where essentially you can bypass probate and sure. everything transfers to beneficiaries and it's clean and simple. The I would, what comes up, and I'm sure you see it all the time, is that making sure all the assets because <laughs> if yes. you forget to put one beneficiary, you got to go through probate for like the whole thing. Well, I have that all the time. People have trusts. People don't understand how trusts work. A trust is really just a document that we draft and the trust only has power by what you actually transfer or title into the name of the trust. So either we move 
through a deed, the real estate into the trust. So you take it from being your own name, Danielle Greenberg, into the Danielle Greenberg Revocable Trust. And we record that, that's one way, or you can, it can get transferred on death um, through your will into your trust, or you can have the trust as a beneficiary of accounts and the assets can go into the trust that way. Or in the present day, you can retitle things in the name of your trust. People get very confused about trust for sure. Um, and you know, I don't think a trust is necessary for everyone. And the other thing, just since we're having this general helpful estate planning discussion is most people think a lot about their death and where their assets are going to go. And when they're in my office, they're always surprised about me mentioning, well, what happens if you're older and you're incapacitated? Have you given someone, have you given someone a power of attorney? Um, you know, who, because what happens is like, let's say you have a beneficiary on your bank account for death. That person can only get access to that money when you die. So if you're older and, you know, especially people who don't have their kids down here or don't have kids, who is going to, you know, if you need extra care or you need to be moved into a facility, who, who will be able to make those choices for you and who will have access to your money to be able to like, if it's really important for you to stay in your home and you want a home healthcare worker, well, somebody has to pay for that. So a power of attorney is a great document to do. And I would say that frequently in my practice, people come to me when the person's already too far gone with Alzheimer's or already had a stroke and they say, can you do a power of attorney for my mother? And then I always say, does your mother know what's going on? Is she gonna be able to have a conversation with me? Cause once she's already incapacitated, I can't prepare that document for her. Then yeah. you'd have to uh, do a process called guardianship, which is expensive and involves the court and getting a guardian and appointed. So a little planning there, just getting a power of attorney signed ahead of time is a great option. Yeah. And thinking that through, right. And this is why I wrote down for anybody who's listening or watching this, if you're thinking like, Hey, I think I could just figure this out on myself, like going online and stuff. No, you should definitely reach out to a professional like Danielle. She's an absolute rock star. So if anybody has any questions, like if they need your help, where can they find you? <laughs> so my, my office is in Fort Lauderdale. I have a website, daniellegreenberglaw.com. Greenberg is a B-E-R-G, not B-U-R-G. And, or you can just Google Danielle Greenberg attorney Fort Lauderdale, find my phone number. Um, and, you know, we can set up an appointment. A lot of people ask me, like, if we're going to do estate planning, what do they need to bring in? It's normally nothing because what I really need from you is information. I mean, it's helpful to know if you're going to designate a power of attorney, I need normally that person's name and address and phone number. Uh, but as far as your assets go, you know, I don't necessarily need to see them. I just need to know where they are so I can keep notes. And um, a lot of times when people come to see me, it's kind of like going to your yearly visit at the doctor or something like that, where I'm checking on the health of your account. So I'll say, oh, your wife passed away. Did you ever update the beneficiary because a lot of times people did put beneficiaries on things years ago right and then the person passes away or or circumstances change and they never update it so yeah. when they come to me i always give them the homework of contacting all their financial institutions double checking that everything is titled the way they think it is and um yeah and yeah. one other thing i was going to say that people ask me a lot 
if you do prepare a will or a trust or we do any of that, are, you're not stuck with your choices. At any time, we can always do something called a codicil to the will, which is just basically a change to the will. You can do an amendment to your trust. You can completely revoke your will. Uh, we typically do revocable trust, so you can revoke that. And revoke is just you know a fancy word for saying, I don't want this anymore. I, I want to change my mind. So none of these things are permanent unless you pass away, then they become permanent. That's right. So, hey, be nice. Be <laughs> nice to your family members because it could change at any given moment. Sure. And then the other thing, the other thing I wrote down is just be prepared to get financially naked. Like we're going to have some straightforward conversations with regards Correct. to money, assets, things of that nature, and be open to that. So listen, I've enjoyed our time together. Uh, I really do believe that the people who watch this are going to enjoy it as well. You're an absolute rock star. It's a privilege to be in proximity Thank to you. you and to work with you. And uh, I look forward to you know continuing to do so. And I look forward to the next time we connect. So if you guys have enjoyed this episode of the podcast, be sure to smash the uh, subscribe button. If you think it would be helpful or useful to people that you know, go ahead and share it. Uh, with others. And uh, yeah, we look forward to connecting on the next episode. So thank you, Danielle, and look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Aaron Novello podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow Aaron on Instagram at Aaron Novello. Happy hunting.